Welcome, everyone, to episode five, Establishing Habits. I'm Garrett, once again, joined by Andy. We are in the heart of October right now. The leaves are changing outside. The wind is picking up on the battlefield. We are certainly in some fall weather. So today we're going to be talking about the importance of good habits. And then we're going to talk to a student leader, Bridget Haynes, who's in the conservatory and is part of the residence life staff on some of the habits that she's formed, where she sort of began those habits and the importance that they play in her life as a Gettysburg student leader. So with that, I'll turn it over to Andy. It's uh, such a pleasure to be on episode five. This topic, habits, I think is really interesting to me and I'm looking forward to learning from Bridget and sharing some general thoughts about how it could be helpful frame for thinking about individual leadership development. For our listeners, Andy and I have been meeting essentially every Tuesday and Thursday mornings since March, since um, we sort of came up with this idea. And you know, Andy and I both get up Tuesday, Thursday mornings, we have our coffee and bagels and we hop on a Zoom call at, at 8.30. So it's, it's been a nice habit, I think, for both of us that we've sort of taken up. One thing we're going to talk about habits today is best habits are things that you don't necessarily think about that are sort of natural um, and that they're so a part of your life. You just sort of do them and then maybe at a later time or while you're doing them, you maybe pause and think, oh yeah, maybe I am doing this for a reason. So Andy, when we think about habits, like what's sort of a good definition to operate on in our context for today's conversation? I want to talk about two quotes that I came across with in, in our research that I think are really helpful frames and and certainly give me a good chuckle. Um, as William James had said that habit is second nature, right? To your point about something that's natural. They said, or rather habits are 10 times nature, right? That, that they are so much more automatic or natural. Uh, the other one comes from Aristotle. I'm sure many people have heard this quote before, but we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but an habit. It's about you know habits as part of who we are fundamentally, the things that we do become, start to identify who we are. And I think when I think about your example of us getting up to record this podcast and meet 8.30 Tuesdays and Thursdays, a big part of who we are, Garrett, are people interested in studying leadership and sharing our revelations. So, um, you know, I have to share an academic definition here. Uh, habits are sequential, repetitive, motor, and cognitive behaviors elicited by external or internal triggers that once released can go to completion without constant conscious oversight. I think that's a great sort of segue to our two framing questions today. The first of which is, you know, what are the habits of effective leadership? Uh, and the second being, how do good leaders establish effective habits? So Andy, for this first question, what are the habits of good effective leadership? I know there's a book you've read about the seven habits of effective leaders. Um, do you want to maybe go over a few of those habits? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to talk about this particular model because it was created, well, I think 30, 40 years ago now. And this book in particular really c continues to be useful for, for leaders. This book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, People, talks about habits being the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. So it's things that you know, things that you can do and things that you want. And in a leadership com uh, context, these are things that if you repeatedly practice these things, the chances are you're more likely to be effective in your particular role. So there's seven, uh, seven habits um, and Stephen Covey is the author. 
um, of this book. And there's um, some some really good good work that he's done on um, principle centered leadership as well. But so the seven habits are to be proactive, begin with the end in mind, put first things first, think win win, seek to understand, then to be understood, to synergize. And then the seventh is to sharpen the saw. Now, I think we'll put some inf- more information about that on the website that people can go and refer back to. But I think these uh, seven habits uh, are simple. They give you an idea that, um, you know, you can have influence over yourself and approaching things from an intentional standpoint. But if you use that intention to build these habits to where you are doing these things repeatedly, they will become second nature, as William James said, maybe 10 times nature, and that can serve you well. Now, it's not going to be a recipe that that enables you to lead in any setting at all times, right? But I think these are a good place to start. Are there any of these habits you want to learn more about, Garrett? I'm curious to hear sort of begin with the end in mind, habit number two. What sort of is the explanation for that one? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of folks talk about the importance of vision in leadership, and vision is an ideal end state, right, like where you are working towards. So in a, in a leadership group setting, let's say you have a team or a group that's, that's working on a project, and you're about to, to kick off that project, where do you start? Well, Kavi says, begin with the end in mind, begin with that vision, begin with that desired end state. And, and to be clear, that's not just the leader's end state. That needs to be, everyone on the group needs to be able to see that end state. I think another one we have to cover is, you know, to seek first, understand, and then to be understood. What's the big takeaways for, from that one? I know that's one really important to us here at the GLC. Yeah, I think of the word empathy when I see this, Garrett, and self-control. So the self-control p- part is, you know, typically if you're in a conversation with someone and it seems more transactional, you're trying to think of something to say next rather than truly listening to the person that you're talking with, right? And what do we know about those kind of conversations? They end up being superficial. It's more about competing ideas, competing thoughts, and that doesn't get you very far. So the self-control is to, to kind of pause your thoughts and truly listen, an active listen, be an engaged listener, and first seek to understand what what is the person saying? What are you hearing? Um, what is beneath what they're saying? What, are, what do they value? What is frustrating them? What is what is at the heart of what they're trying to say? And, you know, for our listeners, like, like we said, we're not going to go through all seven of these. We'll have more information on our website. Um, but I think now's a great time to transition to our special guest today, Bridget Haynes, who's a senior um, viola player at the conservatory. We are going to spend some time getting to know Bridget and learning about her perspective as a student leader in regards to the role of habits and effective leadership. But what I thought I would do is just before we talk to Bridget, give a a quick background on what we are talking about here in regards to habits and effective leadership. So really our understanding of habits come from the field of neuroscience and psychology, really understanding that our brains can do amazing things even without us knowing it, that we can do them. And they can be developed and trained so that these habits can be something that we don't have to think about. I ask you to think about this, for example, right? So what do you normally do when you get up in the morning? 
well, first of all, I try and wake up at the same time every day. I think that's really helpful. I wake up and I go to Schmucker and I practice first thing in the morning while my mind's still clear and not distracted with all the emails and news of the world. And then after that, you know, come back and make some breakfast and work out and then start my day. And I think that like having that consistent start makes it, I mean, like I feel less tired. I feel like I can just like, I I'm already done with two big things. I'm done practicing. I'm done with working out. Like, that's taken care of and I can kind of move on with the rest of the day and like already checking off two things. I'm of course a big fan of making the bed. I think that's always a resounding theme. And are these things you've been doing for a while? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was halfway through first year, maybe sophomore year. I can't remember when I started practicing in the morning, but I just found it a lot easier to wake up and start the day that way. That way I'm not distracted and that way I can like really just focus in on that one thing that I'm doing. One way to think about habit formation I just wanted to share with you, Bridget, here comes out of uh, a book by Charles Duhigg, who uh, wrote a book about the power of habit. And he used a lot of neuroscience and psychology research to create a framework for how to think about habits, but then also how to to not just change them, but even create new habits. And it's a a very simple, very simple framework. At the center of a habit is the behavior or the routine, which is right in the middle, right? That's the thing you actually do that is manifested through your, your thinking. At the front end of that routine or that behavior is the cue or the trigger, something that tells your, your brain that, you know, this is a habit that you need to practice. And then um, on the other side of the behavior is a reward, right? So let, let's just quickly talk about that example you gave of, uh, you know, maybe it's making the bed. You know, what, what would you say is the cue for you to do that? Maybe just waking up and needing to make it set in the room before you leave. Yeah, it might be the, the, the bed needs making, right? You see that it's, it uh, is not the way you want to leave it. So that could, that can be a cue, right? That it's something that's undone in a way. Uh, and then the routine would be actually making the bed. And, and how would you describe the reward for you in that moment? The reward comes later when you get to come home to a nice clean made bed and you're like, oh, this is a good bed to get into. And the way to think about this, this process is a loop, right? This happens over and over again. And the more that you practice a particular habit, uh, the more it becomes ingrained in you and uh, requires less energy and less thinking to be able to do that, right? And, and so, again, very, very simple idea, but um, power in the way that our, our brains uh, use. And, and let's take a pause there. I would love for you to share a little bit about your Gettysburg leadership story and what are some of the things you do on campus and and how you view yourself as a student leader. Sure, well, we'll start with the basic stuff. I'm a music education major and a peace and justice studies minor. I have found myself in a couple of different leadership roles here on campus, some formal, some informal. Um, And so I guess one being I've been a member of the residence life um, student staff section. So I was an RA last year and I'm the RC of Stein this year. So that kind of obvious leadership role to other first years, but this year and specifically being in RC, I also have to supervise other RAs. 
So there's kind of like a two-tiered level there. I've also served in some leadership roles in our music education department. We have um, the Collegiate National Association for Music Education chapter uh, here at Gettysburg College. And I've served um, as our outreach chair and as president-elect and president of that organization um, focused within the music education program. And then I've also been a member of our orchestra staff for four years now. Um, and now I'm kind of like at the top of that hierarchy, um, just helping manage other student staff members um, and make sure that our ensemble runs smoothly. Um, and so those are kind of my primary formal roles as a student leader. But I think definitely within the conservatory and the music education program, I think that the environment we've got going on there is really great in the sense that it kind of promotes student leaders um, in an informal way and letting upperclassmen kind of step up and rise to the occasion. Um, lots of leading by example, lots of, hey, let's grab dinner and talk and talk through the fact that like, oh, you're in theory one and that's really stressful. I was really stressed out too. Um, and kind of ha having those give and take more informal settings of leadership, I think has also been kind of a big part of my leadership identity here at Gettysburg. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, we, we practice leadership a little bit more informally than we do formally most of the time, right? So uh, not everyone can have a position, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, wow, you have some a great breadth of experience at Gettysburg. And what, what I'd like to, to ask you now is to reflect a little bit about the context of habits and leadership practice. So, you know, you have practice leadership, but I'm sure also observed a lot of leaders around campus. You know, do you think that there are sort of common habits that some effective leaders tend to practice? I think one of the biggest things as far as, as, far as observing other leaders, um, one I look to a lot is our professors in the conservatory. Um, and one thing that I see them doing a lot is consistency and communication as far as like the time that they take to respond to you. And that's been something where it's like, I know with this one professor, I can email them and I'll get an email back. Like I will get one back within the next day or I'll get, or I can text them and I'll hear before I go to bed or something like that. And that setting a habit of like a certain demeanor that you have entering a situation. Like we have monthly meetings as our like association, the national association for music ed here at the college. And we meet and kind of seeing when I was a first year, seeing other seniors come into those meetings, always in like a certain attitude, always asking like, checking in on their first years and, and coming into those meetings with a certain demeanor and mood ready to kind of take in new information and work with each other. I think that's been something that has been really um, helpful for me. Yeah, I mean, that, that point, Bridget, about what organizations do or, or groups or cultures do, right? Habits can be based in organizations too. It doesn't have to be just the, the individual. And it sounds like things like a... Um, a relationship system or a buddy system or things that that if you repeatedly do each year becomes part of the culture and a habit that that creates that uh, that culture that you you want to promote so that that makes a lot of sense I'm, I'm curious with your role as a musician you know when you think about some of the habits that have enabled you to be successful in that area what how, how do you think about habits as an artist yeah I mean I definitely think 
it's this balance, right? Of like, you need to have habits of like, okay, this is my practice time and it's in my calendar and this is when I go. And so it takes time to do that and setting a habit of going in and within your practice session, I think it's always really good. Like I start with a warm up and starting with a certain kind of, sometimes I change it up to work on specific techniques. Other times it's just to do the warm up to get myself in that space of ready to practice and ready to work. But then also when you, I mean, when you set up to perform and you kind of set up and you hold, I play viola, so like hold your instrument up and like take a breath and feel the balls of your feet on the floor and then get ready to play. And that it's the same thing. I mean, like I remember in middle school, I tried to play basketball. I was not good, but before people took their free throw, they'd always like bounce the ball a certain number of times. Or like I had friends on the volleyball team who they like would do a certain routine at the beginning of their thing to kind of whether it actually helped or whether it was just a psychology mindset thing, I think that still is just as valuable. Um, and I think a lot of that kind of plays over into the music world too. If we had a emerging or aspiring leader and they asked you, what, what are some of the habits they should develop to become an effective leader here at Gettysburg? What would you tell them? I think one of the biggest things is with with whatever habit it is going into it with a certain intentionality and a real purpose with what you're doing and a connection between like the thing you're doing and how that helps you move towards your goals so like back to our bed example like me making the bed it makes me feel better it makes me feel more like welcome when I come home and that's my own goal and so when I make the bed I'm like okay I'm not just gonna like throw the sheets on I'm gonna like make the bed nice and make it something that's good but in the same setting like when I'm working with um, my orchestra staff and trying to um, help us work on some project or get a certain task done or something that like the way that I try to communicate them to consistently like that is with a certain intention that is in line with the goals that we're trying to achieve. Wonderful. Bridget, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. So Garrett, we've talked a little bit about effective habits for effective leaders, but I think it's also good to talk about how bad habits can get in the way of effective leadership too. And oftentimes when we're in moments of stress or anxiety, that some of our bad habits can come out and get in the way of us being successful. So I was going to ask, do you have any thoughts on perhaps ways, an example of how that might manifest? Yeah, I think when it comes to habits, it's very rare that people will intentionally establish a bad habit, right? I think most habits we formulate, we do um, either consciously or subconsciously with what we think are good intentions, but then of course they can produce bad results or bad outcomes. And so one example I've been thinking of is, you know, for most college students, we're given, um, especially at a liberal arts college, I get is we're, we're assigned a lot of group projects, you know, that extends the, the fields and the humanities to the sciences, to the arts, as in the case of Bridget, I'm working with an orchestra. And so, of course, with those projects, we have a lot of deadlines, right? We have deadlines for assignments. We have to give presentations, all sorts of things like that. And typically, if you find yourself in a leadership position in you know, such a context, if you find yourself being the, the point person for the, for, the, for the small group, once the deadline starts to come up, you might, you might sort of turn into sort of a micromanager, right? What you had previously done as, or thought of as a good habit of checking in with people, making sure things were on time at different assignment dates, you know, can turn into a sort of sending too many emails or sending too many message updates. And so what, what that demonstrates, I think, for the, for the follower is a sort of feeling of a lack of trust that by checking up on them too much, 
Um, you're not confident in their ability to, to do the work. And part of leadership that we always talk about, right, is establishing good trust. So in any group project, it's important to establish that trust with your teammates and with your followers, because um, when stuff starts to get hectic, when you're in a stressful situation, instead of, you know, sending all those messages, checking in, scheduling meetings that are maybe are unnecessary. I know that's a situation I found myself in a lot of times. Um, I get, get very stressed out when deadlines are coming up. So I want to make sure everyone's doing their part and you know, we're ready to go for this presentation. And I know sometimes I can pepper a group me with too many messages. And so I know I have to be more mindful of that. Andy, if a person finds themselves in a situation like that, where they're, when they're in a group and they have a deadline coming up and they're, and they're nervous that things aren't coming in. And so they have a tendency to maybe check in too much. What, what are some things, what are some ways to sort of turn that habit, um, a good intention habit that has unfortunately produced more negative results. What are some ways that they can turn that around and, and make it back into a good habit with good results? Yes, Garrett, I think your, your example is certainly relevant to many leaders about this idea of micromanaging. And I think what I'm going to suggest comes really directly out of uh, Duhigg's book on the power of habit, because he provides some research-based ideas for how to actually think about changing habits. First step is to identify the routine. So what is the behavior that's happening? The next is to experiment, right? Every, the, the thing about habits is it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is about the cue or, or the trigger and uh, what, what leads to the rewards and, the, and the, the routine. So experiment with the rewards, right? For micromanaging, like what is it that is the reward of that? Is it the sense of security? That you feel in uh, send on that email, you know, is it is it that that you just need affirmation from the person that they are uh, that they're doing okay and they've got everything sorted out, right? Like, so to try to experiment, what is it that that you get out of that process? What is the reward for you? And then the final step is to have a plan. So, um, what can you do after you've done this experimentation? You've you've brought to mind. What, what is going on beneath the surface behind this habit. Um, when you next get that, that feeling or that sensation to do it, what is gonna be your, your step? I mean, what if your, your habit first became, once you got that trigger to actually just jot down the reasons why you need to reach out to your team and why you're feeling the sense to micromanage and is that action that you're about to take actually gonna help with the project or with the team? And just journaling that out and writing that out, taking five minutes could reveal to you, is this a necessary action to take? And that, that would be an example of planning. I think establishing good routines for the group is another way to sort of alleviate micromanaging. From the outside of your project, if you sort of inform your team that you'll be sending weekly emails just to check in, you know, to specify a time every week um, that you're going to send and check an email uh, and hold yourself, hold yourself accountable to that. I think another way is to build a sort of Google sheet or an Excel sheet where all the tasks are outlined, people have their assignments, and then as people do them, they can fill it in. Um, they can put the date when the task was completed in. That way you get, you can check in if you find yourself getting nervous and things are getting done. You can check in on who's doing what, when it was done, so that you as the leader don't necessarily have to on the go, on the fly, um, send, send messages when things get a little stressful. Yeah, and Garrett, let me just give one final word of, of advice to our listeners today. It may take more time than you'd like to cultivate these new habits, right? You cannot just do it for a week or two weeks and expect there to be results. 
I mean, habits, especially when we're changing a routine or a reward, it's going to take some time to do that. And there's, there's really no quick solution to, to that. So, you know, have endurance, have patience and continue to experiment because that, that's going to be how you, you affect the change that you're seeking. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for listening to episode five, Establishing Habits. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again.